0: Just a a few things here tonight to give you to consider. You're in last days, final days. The fact that people scoff at that when you bring it up or talk about it uh, is proof that we are in those last days. And the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, that finishing the race that God called you to finish is one of the objectives that often people forget in the last days. Too often what happens is we get our eye off the mark and we get our eye off what it is that we're going to do because problems and troubles, difficulties and trials come our way. And so what we set out to do with good intentions and those kind of things along the way there are speed bumps and things that occur that if you're not careful they can derail you. Uh, they can get you away from what you intended to do. Countless times I've heard Christians get up and testify, and, boy, I'll never leave this church, and I'll never get away from the Lord, and I'll always love the Lord, and I'll always believe the book, and then have death come knocking at their door, or somebody has a drug addiction or drinking, or somebody has go through a divorce or something along those lines, or any number of other things that occur. And then the next thing you know, they're bitter with God, and the people said they never would do. I've stood over many of the grave, including some of my individuals that I came up through the police department with, and stood over their graves, and realized that their life was cut short in the middle of their tour of duty, and the next thing you know, things that nobody planned for, although everybody thought about it. Everybody makes plans for that. You sign all that stuff when you're in the academy, of what you would do if, and this and that and the other, and you make plans. But when it hits, it hits close to home, and it hits hard. And if you're not careful, you can get very, very embittered about those things. And before long, the thing that matters most gets put to the side. It's important for you to know the Bible says that Moses, when uh, he was over there and gets ready to die, he's going up the Mount of Pisgah there. And he said at his age, 120 years of old, his natural force was not abated, his eye was not dim. And he continued to go up against gravity. He's going there and climbing to the top for God to bury him. But he finished. The Apostle Paul is over there. The Apostle Paul's an interesting fellow there. If you study about him, he was probably the district attorney, or probably uh, the main lawmaker in those days. If anything, chief of police, if nothing else, with that. But I think a little more than that. Trained at the feet of Gamal. Uh, Paul had the ability to run off a a law degree there in a dissertation when he's there before Felix and Agrippa. And the Apostle Paul stands there in front of them and you know what he says when they say you're a murderer and you're turning uh, orphans into making orphans out of children and widows out of women and you're no good and this. And Paul said you're right that's what I did. Paul had the capacity and knew the law well enough he could have made a defense. He didn't even defend himself. He said that is what I used to be but I ran into Jesus along the way, and that's what I used to be, but now I'm somebody else. You know what Paul said when he pens Timothy? He's writing there in Second Timothy. He said, I am now ready to be offered. I've run my race. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course." Now, what we want to talk about tonight is, is when Jesus Christ goes to Calvary's cross and they strip him down like the day he was born, we always paint him or put a picture on him with a loincloth out of decency, but that's not how they hung people on the cross back then. And when they hung him and spat on him and kicked him and beat him and beat him to within a pulp and eyes swollen shut and nose mashed on the side of his face without breaking a bone and, and his ribs showing in the back according to Psalms 22. And all that blood pouring out, all that spittle and all that mucus and all that horror that took place down in that praetorium there with the whip slinging blood all over the spectators and all over the walls. And he comes out there and goes to the cross. They nail him up there and he writhes in agony and in pain and in suffering up there and he comes to the end of that thing you know what he said he said I quit no that's not what he said you know what he said he said it's finished you say when did he make that decision preacher he made that decision in the garden of Gethsemane in the garden of Gethsemane he asked the father he said is there any way this cup can pass for me and the father said no and he said nevertheless not my will but thine be done and he gets up from that place and the Bible says that for the joy set before him he endured the cross Now what I'm trying to get across to you or try to show you tonight is that there are things in this world that are built and fixed according to Daniel 7 in an attempt to wear you out, to just flat out exhaust you. I mean, I don't recommend you watch too much of the news. I mean, if there's a nuke coming your way, you're not going to do anything about it anyway. But you get all spun up over that stuff, and what's new disease is coming, and Ebola is coming now, and there's going to be a second wave of the coronavirus, and the microscopic thing's going to get you, and you're going to be in lockdown, there's going to be martial law, and all that junk, none of which occurred. But you got all spun up about it. And pharmaceuticals went off the roof. I mean, they came off the counters right and left and people eating dope and doing all kinds of crazy things and taking all kinds of uh, different medications to try to calm down because they're watching too much of news and trying to worry about something you can't control anyway. And you spend all of your emotion in that and all your emotion in a ball game and all your emotion and in, in what happens around you in life. And then you come into church and you don't have anything to give the Lord. You sit there like a bunch of zombies. Can I get a witness? I know I'm up north. It's like, we ain't, we, we ain't, we ain't going to show you we like you. <laughs> hey, I live in the south. I know how people show they like you. <laughs> I mean, I think that must mean I, that they like me. You know, they're kind of like looking and saying, man, he's only got a few more minutes to go. This is, this is sad. I hope he goes a little bit longer, Right. <laughs> Just kidding, it'll be okay. Just give me a second here. But can I say this to you? If you don't make plans now, if you don't do some training and preparation now, when the difficult times come, you know what? You're more likely to fail. I'm not going to tell you it's a guarantee against failure. You need to understand that. One of the things that we used to do repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again, training, 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 till it ran out their ears. And why do you do that? Because if you do training, when a difficulty comes, you will generally revert to your training without even thinking. It becomes second nature to you. And sometimes you do things without even thinking about it because you've been trained to do it. But if you don't have anything up there in the reserve to be able to do, and there's no training, you know what happens? You freeze or you melt down. The second thing that happens is if you're improperly trained, if you revert to improper training, that can get you killed also. And so one of the things I want to try to make you aware of is, is part of being in church is just for training. The misconception that it's always like a moment that you got saved, like there's this choir full of angels, an epiphany that takes place. The Lord comes walking through the place like walking on the water. That's not how life is. As a matter of fact, if I were to pick a book in the Bible to say what is life like, I'd say Chronicles. I mean, the majority of life is sag, bag, and drag, isn't it? I mean, isn't it the same thing every day? It's just routine duty all the time, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like you take a shift and you work all day for eight hours and nine hours and nothing happens, and then you got 20 minutes that your hair's standing on end and you're scared, slapped to death. But beyond that, the rest of the time, it's just the same thing. Don't you get up and repeat the same behaviors every day? And it's not real exciting, is it? Gentlemen, if you think your wife is boring, imagine what it is for her. (laughs) She has to wake up every day and look at you too. And she's thinking to herself, man, 40 more years of this? (laughs) You say, when does that happen? After she's been married to you about six months, she's over there thinking, what have I done with my life? (laughs) You made a lifetime commitment. Now what I'm trying to tell you is is the Christian life, I'm not going to make it something it's not. There's some difficulties in the Christian life. It's a great life, but it doesn't come without problems. And if you don't have training, you know what will happen? The first time somebody parks in your parking place or, someplace or sits in your seat, or you don't get to sing the special or something, you'll find the reason you need to get out and to quit doing what you can't lose your salvation, but to quit doing. Somebody's going to make you bitter. Somebody's going to make you mad. I'm up in Carolina a few years ago, and I'm walking around out there in the graveyard and just reading stuff and praying, talking to the Lord a little bit there. And you say, well, that's kind of ghoulish. It was not dark outside. I don't hang out in cemeteries when it's dark. You don't have to worry about that. You say, "Why? Well, I don't like what's walking around out there. Can you imagine walking around in a cemetery in the nighttime and all of a sudden bumping into somebody? I mean, you know, they might have good reason to be out there, maybe visiting a loved one by moonlight. I don't know. But I'm thinking, you imagine running into somebody in the midnight? I mean, but it's daylight, and I'm out there. And this fellow's over there, and he's just standing sort of on the edge of the graveyard. So I walked over there to him. I said, hey, man, how you doing? He's from the south. He says, I'm all right. I'm all right. I said, well, good. I said, well, what you doing, somebody? One of your loved ones out here? Mama. Mama's out here. I said, well, I'm going over here. i got to run over here into the church. In those days, they had graveyards there by the church buildings and all that stuff. And uh, he said, over yonder? And I said, yes, sir, right there, over there. I'm going right there, about 25 yards that way. And he said, I would never set foot in that place. I said, Rick, why not? And he said, because they moved mama. I said, what? He said, because they moved mama. I said, what do you mean they moved mama? She says she used to lay right over yonder, but they said she is on the property line, and they're going to have to condemn it and then have to move her. And so they moved her. I said, well, where did they move her? She said they moved her right there. And I said, okay, well, what's the problem? They done moved her from where her original resting place was, and they disturbed her peace. Now, i got to tell you, because of what I used to do, I'm just wanting to say, are you insane? What is wrong with you? At peace, She's dead. She's been dead for years. Man, there ain't nothing but bones if there's even that left down there. You worried about mama, and that's your excuse for not going to church? You say, that's a stupid thing. Yeah, but I've seen people not come to church because of the color of the walls. I've seen people not come to church because nobody take care of their kid in the nursery. Well, maybe if your kid wasn't such a brat, they'd take care of your kid in the nursery. (laughs) Maybe all of a sudden they see you coming in, and they go out the other door. It's like, man, I don't want to deal with that kid. (laughs) You're going to have to deal with that kid sooner or later, or the police will help me Jesus come on I mean take a little responsibility it'll be okay it won't hurt you but ladies and gentlemen you have to recognize that everything is designed to try to get you away after you're saved from your fellowship with Jesus Christ there is nothing more important husband wife children nothing job reputation nothing more important after you're saved than your fellowship with Jesus Christ upon that all else hinges you want a happy marriage get in fellowship with Jesus you see, I'm married to Jezebel. Getting fellowship with Jesus will help you tolerate her. You say, what is it? Well, you'll realize before long when you sit down with a lawyer, it's cheaper to keep her, so suck it up, buttercup. Well, she don't look nothing like she did when I married her. Well, you don't either, big boy, even though you do have that profile pasted of you up on Facebook from what you were 25 years ago. You don't look like that no more. I mean, I realize her Coke bottle used to she used to to look like a Coke bottle, and now it's more like a mayonnaise jar. But you know, you're the same way, man. You look like a brick fence that has done gone into a mudslide. I mean, when's the last time you saw the tops of your shoes? The only time you see 'em is in a recliner when you can elevate them things like, oh, there they are, baby. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't you ain't fooling me. I watch you when you come in over there. You stop wearing lace ups, man. You got them slip-ons, boy. You, you step into them tennis shoes that have that back that doesn't collapse on you, or you'd be walking on the back sobbing sliding around. Okay, help me a little bit. And what I'm trying to get across to you is, is that over a period of time, when age begins to creep up on you, even spiritual age, you know what you can do? You can get weary and you can get wore out. But what I'm gonna talk to you about tonight is not getting weary and wore out in the physical sense. I had a dear friend of mine ask me not long ago, he asked me this question, he said, not talking about the physical, he said, do you ever get worn out spiritually? you ever get tired spiritually? David said, you know, that he had to come back there and ask the Lord to fill him again. In Ephesians chapter number 5, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fluctuates. He doesn't leave you. But if you don't recognize that you get weary in spiritual things, you can get weary in doing good things. Are you in Hebrews 12? Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Let me give you a couple of verses here, and we'll see if we can't try to make a point. You say, what are you doing? I'm just going to give you some training. I'm just going to give you a few things that when the pressure comes, the Bible said, Preach the Word, be instant in, season out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and be turned away from the truth unto fables. You say who's that talking about? The church. Yes. That means you'll turn to YouTube before you turn to the Bible. Yes. I'm already seeing people doing it. People are lazy in research. They ask Google or Siri or Bixby or some other kind of search engine the duck or whatever it might be. They ask all of those things right there instead of doing some old-fashioned work. You just it's just as easy as mashing a button. Well, the spiritual life's not as easy as mashing a button. And the Bible says over there in 1 Timothy 4, he said in the last days many will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and many will depart from the faith. 2 Thessalonians tells you very clearly that in the last days there will be a falling away first, then the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. If that case is there in those passages I gave you, they're Pauline epistles, you know what he says to you? In the last days there are going to be a falling away. I don't want to fall away. Amen. I don't want to run when things get difficult. You say, what keeps you in there? Well, you can't tell anybody you're not uh, scared, so you're scared and crazy because you've been trained well enough to know that you may come out on the good side of things. Now, Christian, you have to get some training, and that's part of the thing. And you have to learn to not get weary in the simple things that you are probably going to think, this is so simple, man, a Sunday school teacher could do it. Well, that's why I'm doing it. Paul says this in the book of Hebrews. won't go into all the reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote it, but I'll say this to you. He said, Wherefore, seeing we also were compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. They're listed over there in uh, in Hebrews chapter number 11 and 32 to about 39 there. But he said, We're we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every what? Wait, not sin. Things weighing you down. And, uh, and notice what he says, and then let us do what? Run the race with what? Patience. Patience. All right, so what I want to talk to you about first of all is come to the book of Galatians, and then we're going to pray. Come to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. Now, if what he just said right there, he said, first of all, I have a tendency, I have a a, a problem that I pick up weights along the way. I can't run the race with patience if i got weights on me all the time. I don't know what's weighing you down tonight, but I know this, there's a lot of things that will weigh you down that are not sin, but they keep you from running the race long as you're bearing burdens, you don't have to bear, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the Lord said, cast your burdens upon me, because He cares for you. Come unto me all that labor and a heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my what? Burden, burden is what? My. Well, if it's weighing you down, then you must be carrying the burden. You want to have a great uh, relief of things. You know what you have to learn to do? You have to learn sometimes to come to an altar. You have to come and say, Lord, the burden's more than I can bear. The weight's more than I can bear. It's not sin, but I'm wore out with it, and it's wearing me out, and it's keeping me from doing what God would have me to do. Sometimes that can be bitterness. I'll give you a good burden. I'll give you a good weight. You know what a good weight is? How about grief? I've seen people stuck in grief after the loss of a child or after the loss of a loved one or something like that. I think sometimes it's their excuse not to get back up and get on the pony. But I think also some of them are so burdened with that thing that they get stuck right there with that weight. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? I've seen them go out and spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars on keeping the grave and keeping the grave and polishing the marble and polishing the marble and having the memories and having the memories and continuing to have birthday parties and continuing to have anniversary and all that, and to try to keep the memories of a dead person alive. Now I'm sorry if I offended you, but ladies and gentlemen, if that wears you out to the point that you no longer have the ability to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you got a God that you've made out of that loss, and you're mad at God about it. And you know what? God's used to being mad at. You're not going to bother Him at all. You don't want to come to Him tell Him you're mad at Him. Be respectful when you do it. But if you come to Him and you say, you know, Lord, I don't understand why you did this, you may not get an answer. You tell me why he took my dad at a young age and took Jim at a young age. You tell me why he took the best friend when we came up together. I told you about him last night through the police department and things like that. Forty-five years I've known that guy. I led him to the Lord, led his wife to the Lord, married him. Best man at my wedding, I'm best man at his wedding. I mean, we've been around each other for years. And just just as, I mean, the stuff we did and the stuff we went through, you'd think he'd been dead a long time ago. And a little old microscopic germ got him. I mean, I'm telling him, walked away. You know what we used to call him? We used to call him bulletproof. The stuff we walked away from, you're thinking, you ought to be dead. You're right. We should have been. And all of a sudden, he gets a little cough. And then before long, it turns into a little bacteria. And then before long, his, his lungs look like spider webs. And before long, I'm in there with him and talking to him on the Zoom thing. And he's completely out of it. And then before long, I'm there praying with him, holding that big old hand, and getting down there and watching him. And he's in the ground. Boy, if there's ever a good place for me to build a monument, it'd be right there. I've seen people that have lost little children and stuff like that, and they still hadn't gotten back up and gone on. I don't have answers for you. I get those phone calls on a weekly basis, probably, at least every couple of weeks. Preacher, why did God do this? Why did He take my little child? Or why did so and so kill themselves? Or why did this happen and all that? You know what? I've gotten old enough, do you know what I tell them? I don't know. It's not always because of sin. I've seen that thing affect good people and good families, love the Lord, believe the book, doing right, killed in an automobile accident, killed with some other kind of accident. It wasn't but three or I guess four weeks ago. Preacher's daughter's out with her boyfriend. Boyfriend pulls up in the parking lot, I mean in the driveway, shoots the girl, turns the gun on himself, blows his brains out with a shotgun, and and her, her brother's watching the whole thing. That's a preacher's daughter and his wife and preacher are there at a church, been there for years good kid. You say, how does that stuff happen? I don't have an answer for you. Demonic, I guess you could say. Uh, The way life goes, I guess you could say. It's what you do with it. You don't always get an answer for those things. I don't have answers for that. Why God? Why God? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. I ain't. First of all, when I get up there to heaven, I'm going to get a mind like Him after the judgment seat. But second of all, i got better sense than to go up there and ask God because He does all things well and He always has a part or an element of what happens that He knows that I don't know. And I'm not going to try to play God like I know better than what God did. I don't know why God did it. I don't know why He let it happen. I think sometimes He gets accused of doing things because He didn't start what happened. And as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, guess what happens? Sin affects everybody. But let me say this before I get moving on. That passage here in Galatians chapter number 6, He said, you shall reap in due season. Do you see that? But there's a key to it. Do you see it? Six So uh, be about nine do you see it? What does it say? Brother Jesse, what does it say? Bible student? Uh, we shall reap if we faint not If we what? Faint not. Oh, so I got a responsibility. If I want to reap, I got to not quit. Yes, sir. You know what you got to learn to do? You can't get weary in your service for the Lord. Now, you might get weary and in go into work and back and forth, but you still go, don't you? DON'T YOU GO SOMETIMES OUT OF DUTY AND RESPONSIBILITY? DON'T YOU GO, MEN, DON'T YOU GO BECAUSE YOU'RE TRYING TO PROVIDE FOR YOUR FAMILY? LADIES, DON'T YOU GO AND GO TO WORK SO YOUR KIDS CAN HAVE IT BETTER THAN YOU WHEN YOU GREW UP? DON'T YOU GO BECAUSE ONE OF THE SPOUSES IS SICK AND YOU'RE NOT AND SO YOU WORK AND TAKE CARE OF EVERYBODY? I MEAN, DON'T TELL ME DUTY DOESN'T DRIVE YOU. NOT EVERYBODY HAS A JOB THAT THEY LIKE TO DO. SOMETIMES YOU GO BECAUSE YOU GOT TO GO. Let me ask you kids something. You have to go to school right now, or at least in Florida where I'm from, you're required to go to school at least until you get past uh, 16 years of age, Then you can be emancipated and do whatever blazes you want to. But let me ask you a question. When you're little like these young'uns down here, uh, do you always want to go to school? Y'all don't know what to do. You're like, (laughs) a little spiritually constipated there. It's like... Do we have to answer that? (laughs) My parents are going to slap me. I tell them I like school. Don't be a liar your whole life. (laughs) You say, what do you mean? That means sometimes you don't want to go to school. But you have to go to school, don't you? In order to graduate, don't you have to go to school? Let me ask you a question. You have a restaurant or two that you go to? Is the food always good every time you go there? Do you quit going? We have Walmart back home. I guess you got them up here. Walmarts are everywhere. They're, you know, they're all over the creation, springing up all over the place. And oh, they're shutting down Walmart. Yeah, they're building more of them. You know, and that's going to be the place where they hurt everybody. Whatever. But, you know, the people that are in there, the the people, the old people at the door, those are people they got lost in there. <laughs> yeah, they walk. You ever seen what's in there? You walk into Walmart, the people in their pajamas, and they're walking around in their house shoes and stuff like that. And they're texting when they're driving. You ever notice that? It's like they're right in the middle of the aisleway and they're just texting and driving. It's like, hey, man, you ain't supposed to text and drive. Move over, pull over. Let me, if I can get around, I think I'll just get another aisle, you know, and go around that. And them old people, you know what happened to them? They tried to get out and they couldn't get out. So now they just made a place for them. Then they put a McDonald's in and a Starbucks. And they got, hey, man, they got everything in here. Got nice bathrooms and everything. How long you been in here? I don't know. Long time, man. I I don't know. But as old as you are, you're going to probably be a good candidate for it. You walk in there and you can't find it at Walmart. If you can't find it at Walmart, something's wrong with you. You're looking in the wrong place. But you go in there and you can't find it or maybe the the piece of the people that are there are rude to you or whatever and that kind of a thing. Do you quit going? Yes, sir. Why don't you quit reading your Bible and praying and quit church just because somebody upset you? Why do you get weary with it because somebody didn't recognize you? DON'T YOU GO TO WORK, AND DON'T YOU EXPECT PEOPLE TO TAKE CARE OF YOU AT WORK, AND YOUR BOSS DOESN'T TELL YOU, YOU KNOW WHAT YOU WANT AT THE END OF THE WEEK, OR EVERY TWO WEEKS? YOU KNOW WHAT YOU WANT? YOU WANT THAT EAGLE TO LAND. YOU WANT THAT PAYCHECK. YOU'RE NOT FOOLING ME. COME ON, BE HONEST. YOU'RE NOT WORKING THERE BECAUSE YOU LOVE YOUR JOB. YOU'RE WORKING THERE BECAUSE YOU WANT THE DOUGH, MAN. <laughs> MAKE IT RAIN, BABY. THAT'S WHAT I'M SAYING. <laughs> RIGHT? YOU DON'T CARE IF YOUR BOSS COMES BY AND RECOGNIZES YOU. You're going to go to work because you need a job to pay your bills, or you want a new car, or you want some clothes, or you want something else that might be. If you're a woman, you want purses and shoes, lots of them, like a whole closet for nothing but purses and shoes that you're going to wear once a year, but you got them if you need them in the millennium. Some of you are going to come back after the rapture. You know what you're going to do? I need to run by my closet. I need to get my, my Fendi. i got to get my Louis Vuitton. I need my Jimmy Choo's and that kind of deal. The Lord's like, you got a glorified body. Yeah, but Lord, should you should see that purse. <laughs> you come home, you hand your husband a bill for several hundred dollars and say, baby, look what I got. And he's thinking, don't you have several of those? Not like this, I don't. <laughs> Thank you, sister. Everybody else is like, oh, no, I don't do it. Oh, man, are you kidding me? You go to a garage sale and there they, all that you know what all's out there? When have you been to a garage sale and seen those shoes and purses out there? They ain't letting them things go. They going <laughs> to die with them things. Now let me ask you a question. You ever get weary with your service? You ever get weary just coming to church? You say what? Little things. Just showing up. I had a guy who was a special operator. I knew him way back years ago, and uh, he was over in the war and things like that. And uh, I had been talking to him about things. I talked to those guys. They're interesting to talk to. They have a different gear. They have real discipline. And I said, tell me you know, about some of the things you did. We talked. We got to know each other for a while there. And I said, what would you consider to be success? He said, I'll tell you what success is, Captain. I'll tell you straight up just what it is. He said, it's showing up every day for whatever the day brings. I thought, that's profound. I asked him, well, what's the key to solving problems? He said, there's one key to solving problems. You solve the problem in front of you first. That's what a special operator taught me. And I, you know what I've learned? That's pretty good advice. You can't move on to the multiplicity of all the million other problems going on until you handle the ones right in front of you first. You know what he said? Show up and handle whatever shows up that day. You never know what a day might bring. Don't ever crow and sit there and think to yourself, you know, bless God, I'm going on for the Lord, and I'm going to do this and that. Say this, at the end of the day, Lord, thank you, I made it through today. We'll see about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. Tomorrow might bring severe tragedy. But if you train yourself for service, if you train yourself on a regular basis to do the simple things, what did Mary do? Did she make biscuits? No. Did she wash dishes? No. Well, what did she do? Well, she didn't do what Martha did. But nobody in that Bible gets a memorial after them except for that woman Mary, and she broke the box, and the boys got upset about it. And they usually will get upset with a woman that outdoes them. Somebody went, mm-mm. <laughs> I don't understand order. I understand chain of command. I understand things like that. But in the spiritual world, boys, I'm going to tell you right now, the reason there's so many women in church right now is because they got more spiritual fortitude and, and spiritual guts than you do. They won't quit it the first time something. They might stir up a bunch of trouble. But they don't quit. What is it about that? Per capita what's going on now? What happened to the spiritual manhood in the last days that we're living in? It ain't spiritual womanhood. You got some good women in. You say you're just playing to the crowd. You're an idiot if you believe that. I travel around enough to see this. Per capita I see less and less men every year. You say, why? You ain't got no backbone, that's why. You don't have any spiritual testosterone. You've been gelded, haven't you? The devil came in and clipped you, didn't he? You say, well, that's kind of a rough way to talk. Well, you're grown people. You can take it. You watch more than that in the news and the, and the stuff you watch in your living room. Don't look at me like you're shocked, you know, kind of a deal. You're spiritual effeminate. Why do you think the rest of the world don't know what they are? A man doesn't know what he is spiritually. Why don't you play a man? Be, be what you're supposed to be. Spiritually, why don't you take the lead in your household? My wife, she knows more Bible than me. You know what that means? Get off your uh, Blessed Assurance and study. (laughs) I'm sorry. Almost forgot where I was there for a second. (laughs) Doesn't have to be that way. Why don't you go to school? Amen. Good preaching. You know what happened? Because that, spirit, that level of spiritual manhood has left because people no longer serve because it's just right to serve. You know what's happened? Now you have people that are out there. As go the church, so goes the rest of the world. And so now they're out there and they're hatched out. And mom and daddy don't make them choose what they are. They don't check their plumbing anymore. And they're confused. You say, why is that? They're taking it from the church. Spiritual effemininity. You don't have to be a jerk to be spiritual. You don't have to be a jerk to be a man. You can just be a man. Hey, it's for me and my house. We're serving the Lord. That's just it. That's just how it's doing. But you know what it usually is? It's the woman saying, come on, honey, now we're going to go to church now. The church becomes a cesspool of people that are playing around looking for a a platform to perform on as opposed to being something they're doing to serve the Lord. Amen. We're going to move past this in just a second. I'm only staying on it because some of you fellows giving me that, you know, that bless me if you can look. Well I'm going to tell you it don't make no difference if you don't like it. I'm leaving in the morning about 4 so I mean I'll be out of here. So you're good to go and then you can go back to Mr. Nice Guy over there. Soft, sweet, tender footed. I'm glad you're laughing at that. You say "Wow, you got a man in the pulpit here. You know what? That's the right thing. You say, well, sometimes people come in here and they don't like that. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you need to toughen up a little bit in spiritual matters. He cares about you enough to tell you. Straighten up and fly right. Stop being a brat your whole life. I mean, come to church to get fixed up, right? Let's get fixed up and stop making so much trouble for everybody. Galatians 6 says, we'll reap if we faint not. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, you know what he says in there? He said, you will reap. But you know what you got to do? If you're not careful, that Bible says that if you faint, if you quit, if you give up, you know what will wind up happening to you? You'll wind up losing your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. You don't lose your soul. You ever get weary in your service for God? Well, we went last week. Lord have mercy. You know what will start happening? First thing that will start occurring is, is, you'll miss Sunday night, and then you'll start missing Sunday school, and then you'll start missing Wednesday night, and then you'll start missing special meetings. And y'all have, you've been a blessing to be here this week. I'm trying to give you a warning that no matter how strong you might be right now, there's trouble coming. And if you don't stay after it, you know what will happen? I used to train a long time ago. You can tell I don't do much of it now at all. I carry my floaty with me wherever I go, you know, that kind of thing. But you know what I know? I know that repetition is what builds strength. And we have repetition in everything else, but when it comes to spiritual things, we think it's instantaneous. Don't get weary in your service for God. Look, if you will, please, if you'd like to turn into it, let me just say this. Don't get weary in witnessing for God. In Second Peter chapter number 3, doesn't He tell you without any question, doesn't He tell you that the Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Yes. That's that passage in Second Peter 3. Well, if that's the case, do you ever get weary of witnessing? You know what we did for a long time? One of the things we did was we made witnessing like it was some kind of special art or something. We taught it like we taught a marketing class. Some of you remember, used to, if you came from a Southern Baptist church or something, what they would do is you'd get saved, and then they'd wind up putting you in a special class so that you could learn how to witness and how to... I mean, you could use the, 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 the wordless cards, you could use the colorless cards, you could use the, all kinds of different things, the Romans Road, and you could run through and do all that kind of stuff. You know the best kind of witness... That woman at the well, you know what happened to her? She comes up there, the old prostitute man, she comes out there painted like a possum at pokeberry time, not enough uh, clothes to make a pair of britches for a blue jay, and she comes over there and has been with five husbands. She's a full-blown adulterer, man. I mean, if she was in today's time, she'd be a dope fiend doing everything she could and and making her living on her back so she could uh, feed her habit and those kind of things. That's the kind of woman that the woman at the well was. Everybody in town knew her. Nobody wanted to be around her. That's why she's out there in the heat of the day. And she comes out there and when she gets saved, Jesus says, now what you need to do is, is you need to have a testimony class and you need to have a, a new members class and you need to have a soul winning class and all that. You know what he did? He didn't say anything except you're, you're free. You've been, you're, you're now saved. You're, you're sealed. Here's your drink of water. You'll never thirst again was the exact words. You know what that lady did? She went into town. There's 12 boys in that town over there, and they come back with not a soul. All they come back is with food for themselves. Here, they're trained. They've been with the Lord. They should know how to win somebody to the Lord, shouldn't they? No, they're independent Baptists. They're not going to hand them a track or nothing else. It's kind of like, give me my food, and I'm going back, and brag about walking with Jesus. You know what happens before long? Here comes that lady, and it looks like a riot's fixing to break out, and the entire town is out there. Now, you realize what her testimony cost her? She went into that town, and she said what everybody already knew, but she was so much in love with what Jesus Christ did for her, she wasn't ashamed because she said, that's where I used to be, and if it hadn't been for him, I'd still be there. And I don't care if everybody knows it. I want you to know him. You know what she did without a soul winning class? You know what she did without a new members class? You know what she did without going to Bible school? All she did was went out and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. And turned out the whole town. Now what I'm telling you is is that one of the hard things is people start making it too sophisticated. I got to know all these scriptures. I got to know Romans 3:23 and I got to know Romans 6:23 and I got to know Romans 10 and Romans 8 and 9. I have to know this and I have to know that. I have to know over there in Revelation 3, the whole sand of the door, and Isaiah 53. Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions and I have to know where this is and that is. I got to get my Bible marked and all that. Hey, just stop. Go by the kiss theory. Keep it simple, stupid. Listen, the greatest testimony, the greatest witness is for you to go and just say, let me just tell you what Jesus did for me. You know, hey, I can bring you to a preacher and he can tell you the rest. of will put the bowl on the package. But ladies and gentlemen, if we would just get excited about Jesus again like we used to and not be ashamed. And we were in prison one time and preaching to a bunch of girls that deserved to be there. And the old preacher got up and he started drawing this picture of Jesus up there. And he said, Boy, if you've ever met a man, this is a man. He'll love you and he'll take care of you. And he cares about you before he cares about himself. And he goes out and there's a black girl in there. She said, Lord of mercy, I want to meet that man. And he never even stopped. He turned around and he said, If you'll hang on, I'm going to introduce you to him. And he went back to drawing and bragging on Jesus and bragging on Jesus and talking about the thieves and all that. She said, Oh goodness, introduce me quick. I want to meet that man. <laughs> he came to the end of that thing. That old girl came down there and got out on the aisle and she met him. You say, what was the preacher doing? Giving her all kind of sophisticated stuff? No, just tell him about a man loved him enough to die for him. An old girl that was in jail and deserved to be there for some horrible crimes she committed. He wasn't trying to get her out of jail and get her bonded out and try to get her to see somebody so she could get out early. He's trying to get her to meet Jesus Christ. You say, what did he do? He used his own testimony about how rotten he was before he met Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, that's no longer, no longer good anymore. I mean, you do it on Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. You do it all over Twitter and all that. And you talk all about yourself. How about talking about your conversion? Yeah. Why have you gotten tired of telling about it? I've never grown I was only seven when I got saved. You couldn't be saved at seven. You doubt it, okay? I ain't doubting it. I ain't worried about it at all. I try to put my friend Kurt Dirt in the back of my dad's Buick, man. It was 100 degrees. We were down in Miami. And inside that car, I don't know, it was smoking hot. Those vinyl seats would blister your hide, man. And back in those days, we wore shorts and stuff. We were little tights. And he's in there, and I'm trying to tell him about getting saved. And he tried to get out. He's redheaded, boy, real fair complected. So was I back in those days. He tried to get out on one side. I'd lock the door over here. And he get out on the side. I'd lock the door. He starts screaming bloody murder. And the next thing, my daddy comes out there, and he had just led me to the Lord there at the dinner table there at lunchtime. And uh, he came out there. You should have seen his face. I can see it right now. He came out, and he's wanting to holler at me. And then he's thinking, and he's, boy, have you lost your mind? Let him out of the car. You know, let him out, man. He looked like a cat with kerosene on his <laughs> hind end, man. <laughs> I mean, he's running. I'm thinking, we'll never see him again. He stood up there, my dad was a big man, you know, big ball player. And he, and he said to me, boy, what are you doing? And I said, well, daddy, I was trying to tell my friend about hell, and I didn't want him to go there. And I know he's thinking in his mind, well, that's a pretty good illustration, you know. <laughs> but you should have seen him, man. One minute he's wanting to knock the tar out on me. The next minute he's thinking, well, get in the room in there. You need to take a nap, you know, and that kind of a thing. Uh, you know what happened? I got saved when I was seven years of age. You said, why would you get saved? I didn't want to go to hell. You said, well, you self-preserve and rascal you. Thank you absolutely, no question. I've had that thing sealed from then on. You say, why? I didn't know all a little bit that I know now. I knew I just didn't want to go to hell. I was scared of it. Scared like, a scared, like S-K-E-E-R-E-D. Scared. That kind of scared. Bad scared. I felt like it was gonna, I was going to die before I could get the prayer out. I was scared of that. A couple years later I got baptized. You know what I find out? I find out oftentimes people will come up and say, well you couldn't have been saved at 7. Okay, well you check it. I know when I got saved. It might have been a little devil move out of me, but some devils moved out of me. I can tell you that. You say, well, I ain't never been the same. You say, always live right? Heck no. I wish I could tell you I had. You know what I'm ashamed to tell you? A lot of the sin that I did, I did after I saved. I didn't do a whole lot from one to seven. But I'm 60 years beyond that now. You reckon I might have had a problem or two along the way? I'm not like some of you saints. I'm not perfect. When I got saved, I woke up after I got saved. I still had two hands and two feet. The same ones got me in trouble, keep getting me in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I know what I am. I'm a saved sinner. Yeah. Now, you know what? Some things fade with age. That's why some of you don't dance. You're not worried about dancing. You make fun of the kids dancing and all that. I don't believe dancing's right. But the truth is, you don't dance because you're afraid you'll break something. <laughs> But I didn't say dancing's right. right. No, the kids are out of here like, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Don't you be doing that. we we'll put you in a rubber room is what we'll do with you. Don't know what's happened to them, man. they smoking crack or something, man. Bath salts, I don't know. They're, they're messed up, man. Soup salmon, put them in a the lockdown. Teach you to dance, man. Lock you down. But, any, but at any rate, you know what happens? We get tired of witnessing for the Lord. You say, well, the preacher ought to be doing that. Uh, sheep are supposed to reproduce sheep, not shepherds. THAT'S YOUR JOB. YOU SHOULD BE BRINGING IN THE SHEAVES. (laughs) YOU EVER GET TIRED OF WITNESSING FOR THE LORD? WHY? WHAT DID HE DO FOR YOU? WOULDN'T HE SAVE YOU FROM HELL? YOU DON'T HAVE TO HAVE A BAD TESTIMONY TO HAVE A GOOD TESTIMONY. I MEAN, I HEAR THE GUYS GET UP AND THEY TALK ABOUT ALL THE STUFF THEY USED TO DO AND WHERE THEY USED TO BE AND THEY'RE JUST PLAYING THE TAPE OVER AGAIN. Listen, you're going to struggle with that stuff. Why talk about that stuff? But you know how you witness to somebody else? Listen, man, I've done some bad, depraved things, and all you need to know is, is thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been saved, and whether you believe it or not, I'm going to heaven. Tatted up like a possum at pokeberry time, got all kind of holes in you from all the chains and the whip marks and all the stuff that you had and the places you've been, and people don't think people like you can be saved. Hey, you can be saved if you've got enough sense to admit you're a sinner. And otherwise, your righteousness ain't going to carry you nowhere but to hell. Any more than their bad works are going to carry them to heaven. Their bad works ain't carrying them to heaven. Their good works ain't either. But I wonder sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, whether or not we wind up getting weary in our service. I wonder sometimes if we get weary, I guess you would say service, if we're going to use W's, we could say in our work for God. How about in our witness for God? Do you ever get tired of the way Numbers 21, he said, we've come this way, we've circled this way long enough. You know what that passage says there? He said, they were tired, they were weary in the way. You ever get tired of just doing right? You ever get weary just doing what's right to do? Because it's right to do? You know what you're living in a generation now that they don't ask you whether it's right or wrong. You know how they live nowadays? And what's in it for me? Is it good for me? What do I get out of it? Tell me tell me what I get. Tell me what I get. Is it right? You know what happens? Sometimes you get what's right when you do what's right. You don't get anything out of it. Sometimes you get ridiculed for doing what's right to do. But you know what you have to learn to do if you're going to follow the Lord? You can't weary and get weary in doing what's right just because it's right to do whether you get anything out of it down here or not. What's in it for me? What a covetous, selfish bunch of individuals. We're Bible believers. We're Christians. It's right. I don't go to parties where people are doing stuff like that. I don't care if you do or not. It don't matter. This is between me and him. I don't smoke crack and hang out with the people that do that stuff. I don't hang out with the people that are going to have it on the table. Well, preacher, you know you have to do... It. Uh-uh. Not me. No, no. I'm not going to be guilty by association. I talked to a young kid today after I got finished over at the preacher's house. And I talked to a young kid today and they're struggling with a decision. I said, listen, man. Is it right? And he said, well, preacher, you know, you have to understand. I mean, I'm not going to be doing this and that and the other. I said, brother, if somebody walks in where you're at, you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to have to try to explain that you really weren't doing what they think you're doing because you're hanging out with people that are doing it. I told a fellow today, I said, you know, all you're doing, you're complaining about all the things floating around in the septic tank you're swimming in, and you're thinking you're going to clean up the septic tank. I said, you're a fool. Get out of the tank. Keep complaining about all the stuff. Get away from it. Separation's a biblical doctrine. You say what? It'll pull you down like gravity. Yeah. I mean, I could get up on this chair, and this little youngin' right here, she could grab a hold of my hand, get me off balance just a little bit, and she'll yank me off the chair quicker than I'll pull her up. Mm. Used to have a little bit of, of strength in me, but I probably don't have the strength to pull her up anymore. But she's got gravity on her side. Running around with those people, ladies and gentlemen, that's a bad, bad sort of a deal. You say why? Because it'll wind up ruining your testimony. It'll wind up causing you to run with people that you shouldn't run with. You ever pause to think that you're getting weary of just doing what's right to do? You ever get tired and get weary, wore out with the brethren? See your silence right there. That's a. <laughs> you say, what is that? They're still people. They're saved people. But man, you talk about a soup sandwich. I mean, look in the mirror. As much as you've upset somebody's upset you, you've upset somebody. I don't care how perfect you think you are, you ain't perfect to him. You walk around with your nose so high in the air, you'd drown if it started raining a little bit. Amen. You forget that you were just a wretched sinner to somebody else that happened to be down in a thing with a needle in their neck. How you see yourself? A good person that got saved? Well, I wonder whether you're saved or not. You ever get wore out with the brethren? 1 John 2 will teach you and 1 John 4 will teach you. You know what he says? If you have the love of Christ in you, it is known of you how by you loving one another. That's tough. Well, how easy do you think you were to love when Jesus met you? You ever realize your spiritual temperature gets taken every time the brethren come along and it's somebody you don't like and somebody doesn't do it your way and somebody doesn't do this and something do that and the Lord's saying, do you love me? And you say, well, sure, Lord, you know I love you. Good, love your brothers. Preacher Lackey years ago, he preached a message called Kicking the Bride. It's an old message. I haven't seen it in years and years and years. I'll never forget it. In those days, they wore a big cord around their neck and they had a microphone here. And they had a little boy look like he had a pit, boy on, a pit bull on the chain. And he would do that to keep the stuff because Preacher Lackey move around while he was preaching. He'd get all fired up. He looked like a pork barrel with pipe cleaners for legs, man. He would run all over that place and up there. And that little boy would hold that thing and try to keep the wire off of the piano and wire off of this and wire off of that. And he gets up there and he sets up a mannequin and he dresses her up in a beautiful wedding gown and puts jewelry on her and puts a veil on her and all that and he starts preaching and this and that and the other and he comes by and he smacks her in the face and knocks her in the floor and then he picks her up and, and then he starts talking about her and then he gets up a big old hawker man and spits right on her veil and then knocks her back down on the floor and he starts kicking her across the floor man I mean just kicking the tar out of her there's a mannequin <laughs> And he brings her by the end of the message there. He brings her up there, and he sets her up there, sits her up there on the chair and puts her there. And you look at her, man, I mean, that white ground is just all gray and dirty and got all kind of stuff. And her veil's been tore off of her, and her hair's disheveled, and makeup looks like a raccoon in the rain, man. I mean, she's, I mean, in bad shape. And he pauses at the very end, and he kind of gets out of the way for effect there. And he says, you reckon uh, her fiancé, when he shows up, you reckon... Uh, He'd be pretty upset if he knew who kicked his bride. And of course, everybody's like, you know, absolutely, you know. And he said, reckon what Jesus will do to me and you when he comes up and realize we've been kicking his bride. The people you spend your time talking about aren't the lost people. They're the people you go to church with. They're the people that pray for you and the people that keep the doors of this place open and the air conditioner running and the toilet's flushing. The people that'll go to bat for you when nobody else will. And you're kicking them. You're taking medication on their own vacation. I'm not trying to be hard on you, but it is epidemic in our churches today. I think it's because of Facebook and all the social media stuff like that that makes you feel like everybody else's business is your business. You know what you ought to learn to do? You ought to learn to keep your nose on your own paper and run in your own lane and run your own race and do what God would have you to do and quit worrying about how everybody else runs their race. I'm just making a suggestion to you. Every one of you in here at some time or another has had somebody poke their nose in your business and you didn't appreciate it at all. Could I get a witness? How come you do it? You an exception to the rule? Our church is empty out. You know why? You know the number one reason? You say it's liquor, it's alcohol, it's adultery, it's cigarettes, and this and that and the other. You could combine all those things together. In a church, As I've been down there pastoring 33 years now. You could combine all those things together. You won't do anywhere near the damage of one gossip tongue. You say, well, they need to toughen up. No, you need to shut up. With all due respect, I'm leaving at 4 o'clock in the morning. so, And i got a police escort to get out of here, so you can't touch me. But can I ask you a question? Have you ever paused to think how unchristlike that is? And if you were witnessing to somebody else, but well, while you were talking about somebody that's at church, you see what she had on? They didn't even speak to me. Y'all, well, y'all probably don't do that up here, though. That's Southerners. <laughs> y'all probably are like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Oh, that's a great solo. Well, sure, appreciate it. Y'all probably do that. But in the South, they're like, he should have called on me. That's horrible. Laughter. I walked by, my preacher walked right to me. He didn't even say hello to me. I ain't a coming no more. He can call me himself if he wants to. Uh, maybe I didn't see you. I don't know. But you know, you stand by the back door, you know, and they come by there and you happen to, they walk in a big crowd of people. And if you don't stop and park the Red Sea and go, hey sister, how are you? Good to see you today. They're like a stinking prancing poodle in a, in a dog show. <laughs> Pun intended. The Lord called a woman a dog. That's better than calling you a pig. Second Peter 2 calls you a pig. <laughs> I thought I gave you an upgrade. <laughs> oh boy, I'm losing the crowd tonight. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I'm here to tell you is, is that sometimes the brethren can make you weary. Sometimes a brethren can wear you out. Can I say this to you? Sometimes all we need is is to stay in good practice and realize, realize that we need to be able to be encouraged sometimes. Years ago, I played a little bit of ball and stuff like that. My dad was quite the ball player and those kind of things. That's another story for another day. But but my dad would uh, come out there to the games and things like that and all that. My dad was an unusual guy. I'd look up sometimes at practice, and my dad would be standing over on the sidelines. It would be spitting snow a little bit, maybe drizzling rain. And I'd be out there at practice, and he'd see me, and I'd get ready to go back to grab a shower. He'd said, Come on, bud. We'll go get some hamburgers or something after practice. And he'd be up there. I can remember a couple of games, man. I'm getting out there, and I'm playing and I might make a play and maybe turn a play in or whatever there's a defensive guy there and and I might turn a play in there and I can remember I'd get up off the ground there and I'd kind of cut my eyes up there in the bleacher just to see if he's looking you ever cut your eyes up to heaven just to see if the Lord's looking I made the play daddy (laughs) I made the play how we were playing up against the boys. As a matter of fact, the team was called Macaulay. It was a military school. Man, they were disciplined guys, and they were big as giants, man. You thought you were going into the land of Canaan. Those guys were so big, man. And we got over there, and I'm gonna tell you what, man. I mean, I don't know why the coach didn't pull me out of the game. They plowed my stinking taters, man. <laughs> Every time they'd come around, they sounded like a herd of buffalo coming at me. And I was stupid enough to stand there and run at them. Like, I mean, I didn't, that's, that's what you do, you know. And they'd hit me, and I'd be back on my back end, and they'd just just plow me. I got done. The whole front looked like I had had Clorox Beach on it. And you turned me around, man. I had mud and grass. It was all down in my bridge everywhere that I had my football pants on and that kind of stuff. We got done. We got slaughtered. It was horrible, man. It was terrible. <laughs> Give me PTSD thinking about it. <laughs> Getting ready to walk out there. In those days, we had these big, you know, cleats on your shoes. They didn't have the fancy stuff back then. And I'm holding my helmet, and I'm kind of dragging along there. And there he is standing right there by the gate. And I'm thinking, man, here we go, you know. And. I feel bad, I've had a bad game. I don't think I made a play all night. I got my head handed to me. And he comes by and he smacks me on the hind end and he said, good game, boy. Yeah, you're just saying that because you're my daddy. I took a shower and stuff like that and the coach walks by out there and he's coming by the locker room there, I'm getting ready to go, I'm just kind of sitting there putting my socks on, you know. And he comes by there and he said, good game, Peacock. Good game, what game were you all watching? <laughs> Man, I'm so stinking sore, you need to carry me out of here in a stretcher, man. You've got to be kidding me. I didn't make a play all night. I didn't get anything on anybody. I don't think you, how many tackles? Zippo, baby. They plowed my taters. And so I walk out there, and I get in the car, and I'm sitting down there with Daddy, and Daddy said, boy, that's a good game. I said, why do you say that? I said, they handed me my head. He said, yeah, but you kept getting back up. He says, probably one of the best games I've ever seen you play. Now, if you're a daddy, you get that. You know what he's saying? Because you didn't quit even though you kept getting your taters plowed. You didn't say, coach, pull me out. You ever consider those things, ladies and gentlemen? You ever realize that every now and then somebody needs just a little encouragement? Can I say this to you? One of the greatest things you can do is, is never get tired of being thankful. You ever been thankful for your pastor or have a church opened up and have preaching? That's Galatians 6, 6, 6.8, 7, 6, 8, 6, 9. God's judging a group of people based upon how they treat the man God sent to them to give them scripture. See, I thought that's all about sin. Yeah, the sin is not taking care of the one that does it. Do you spend more time talking about them or supporting them? Are you thankful for them? Are you thankful for your kids? I'm gonna put one on you now. Are you ready? Do, you, do they hear the? You thank the Lord for them. You know what it means TO these little ones, man, when you come in there, Pawpaw, pa, grandpa, mamaw, memaw, grandma, nana, whatever you are, you know what that does when you come in, you put your paws on them and you pray. You say, God, thank you for this youngin'. Bless him and watch over him and care for him and help me, Lord. Give me the wisdom to know how to raise him and help me to take care of what you've given me, this precious gift you've given. You know what that does for a kid? When's the last time you did that? Thank God for the kids. Thank God for the roof over your head. Thank God for your salvation. Why, the greatest way you can give glory to God is by giving thanks. When was the last time you did it? Did you thank God for your troubles? You thank Him for your trials? You thank Him for your cancer? You thank Him for your divorce? He said in everything, give thanks, doesn't He? And you ever get tired of giving thanks? You don't get tired of being thanked. Can I get a witness? Come on, ladies. That man will go out in the yard and he'll go out there and he'll cut the grass. He'll call you and the family out there to look and look at how the lines are straight and how that edge is so perfect you could cut yourself. He's done one thing in a month of Sundays out there and he calls you out there to look at it and he's posting pictures of it and going, man, this looks like Augusta, you know, like you've done Major League Baseball Park and you've trimmed it out and you wash clothes every day and you cook every day and you wash dishes every day and you make beds and you change diapers and he don't open his yak but the first time he does something. Honey, I cleaned out our garage. Our garage? I ain't got nothing out there but a car. It's full of your stuff. Right? Come on, ladies. Don't you get tired of him not at least telling you thank you? thank you goes a long way, doesn't it? While that boy over there in Luke 17, when he comes back over to the Lord, I've only got one more to go and we'll be done for tonight. Y'all be shed on me. And he goes over there to the Lord, and the Bible says out of that ten, one of them came back to give glory to the Lord. He never says glory to God. Well, how did he give glory to God? He told him, thank you. That's what's in the passage. You mean it gives glory to God when he go, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. God can't glorify himself and God can't thank himself. He relies on us to do it. And he's running a little short in the account. God, I know you say all things work together for good to them that love God, them according, called according to his purpose, and I love you, and I can't figure out why I got this disease and why I got this problem and why I got this addiction, but Lord, I'm thanking you for it. Thank you for the trouble. You know what I believe that boy's doing? I believe that boy, sure as I'm standing here, he's not thanking God for his healing. He's thanking God for the leprosy. You know why? Because he knew if it wasn't for that leprosy, he'd have never called on God. Can I give you one more? Don't get tired of looking for him to come. Don't get weary in listening to sermons about the second coming. The old white horse preachers talking about Jesus coming down. Man, can you imagine what that'll be like? You get done with the judgment seat of Christ, man, and go out there to a stable that is unbelievable, unlike anything you've ever seen. Those horses in there, man, got coats like satin and tails and manes like silk, eyes are like a flame of fire. They bow down and you get across their back, and here comes the Lord running by you with a garment on, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and down through the stars you come, boys. I mean sparks coming off of those hooves as you step on the stars coming down to that battle of Armageddon. Man, could you imagine how that's gonna be when you're coming off of streets of gold, just got up from the eating anything you want with no calories, a perfect mind and a perfect body, and being in a perfect place following a perfect Savior. Why, goodness gracious. Why would you get tired of hearing that? I get wore out with people that are always preaching on the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. It's Reagan. It's Gorbachev. It's Zelensky. It's, you know, Mr. Facebook man, uh, uh, Puckerface. What, what is his name? <laughs> I got part of that, right? What it? Is- Somebody said it. What? Zuckerberg. Z- okay, that him. He is a sucker bird. <laughs> Zuckerberg. Is okay. Whatever he is. Nut job. Whatever. Or, or Bill Gates. Or whoever it might be. And they think of trying to... Listen, listen, listen. Thinking who the Antichrist doesn't help you live any better. You know what the Bible says? He that haveth this hope purifieth himself. The hope there is is in Jesus Christ. YOU'RE LOOKING FOR THE GLORIOUS appearing OF OUR LORD AND SAVIOR JESUS CHRIST. mean LISTEN, WHETHER OR NOT IT'S IN DEATH OR RAPTURE, YOU KNOW WHAT, DON'T EVER GET TIRED OF THINKING ABOUT it. I'M GOING TO THE HOUSE ONE DAY. Yeah. I'M NOT KIDDING, I MEAN WHY SHOULD YOU EVER GET TIRED OF THAT? I MEAN ONE DAY YOU'RE HERE AND YOU GO TO SLEEP AT NIGHT AND BAM, THE RAPTURE HAPPENS. IT'S OKAY, IT'S ALL RIGHT, WE'RE GOOD. <laughs> NOBODY SCREAMS AT ME LIKE THAT BUT DADDY. I'M JUST LIKE, I DIDN'T DO NOTHING. But the rapture goes off, man. And you're caught up and your troubles that are troubling you right now, gone. And your neighbors and the people that give you a fit, gone. I know there's some of them you kind of want to do a flyby, you know. <laughs> na, 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 na. <laughs> Well, you don't have your glorified body just yet, you know. I'm just saying, <laughs> at least not the mind, right? I'm, I mean, I'm—I'm oh, I'm sure you wouldn't be that way. Oh, I'm—I'll so, pray for you, you know. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> and you get caught up there, and come up there in a place prepared for you, and your troubles are over. Why would you get tired of hearing about it? Why you get tired of looking for him? Well, preacher, sure they've been saying it for years. He might come for you tonight. Some of you know what I used to do. I'm not talking like a fool. I've seen people think they got, I'm caught away early in life. Tragedy comes knocking on the door. The Grim Reaper comes by with his sickle and cuts them down. Doesn't care. Black, white, female. Can't make up your mind what you are. It don't make no difference, man. When he comes knocking at the door, you gone. And if you're a Christian, you know what happens? You're absent from the body and present with the Lord. If you're not, you're in hell. Just like that. Done but your life is over. You say, what does that mean, preacher? That means don't get tired of thinking that one day I'm going to give an account to the Lord for what I did in the body, whether it be good or bad. And the thing you've got to recognize is, ladies and gentlemen, is that when you get tired of hearing about the Lord coming, it's because you're walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. It's because there's too many things you still want to do while you're down here that you want to finish up before you get called out over there. Well, you don't get to control that. Every one of you has an expiration date on you. Do you know when it is? I've been in a crib over there, look at a newborn baby, and he's gone. What happened to them? Autopsy, can't figure it out. Back in my day it was a thing called SIDS. That's almost non existent now. That baby crawl over there and get a lack of oxygen and kick off and you get there and that little baby's just IS blue. And if it's a black baby, that little tongue's blue and the LITTLE pads underneath the fingernails are turned blue and they wound up suffocating right there in the baby. Just just brought home from the first couple of times laying there in the crib. Gone. Never even got started in life. I've seen them live on up into their late nineties and stuff. AND GO THAT WAY. WELL, THAT'S A BIG, LONG, FULL LIFE, AND I UNDERSTAND THAT. BUT WHAT ABOUT ALL THOSE IN BETWEEN? Yeah. AND YOU KNOW WHAT THE BOTTOM LINE IS? IS THAT SOMETIMES YOU HAVE TO PAUSE AND THINK, YOU KNOW, THANK GOD, THAT'S self, that's RESOLVED, THAT'S RESERVED. YOU KNOW THE GREATEST THING YOU CAN DO? I'VE DONE A FUNERAL OR TWO IN MY LIFETIME. YOU KNOW THE GREATEST GIFT YOU CAN GIVE TO THE ONES LEFT BEHIND? FOR THEM TO KNOW WHERE YOU ARE. Yeah. DO THEY KNOW WHERE YOU ARE? Thanksgiving's IS RIGHT AROUND THE CORNER, I THINK, RIGHT? Yeah, ABOUT 25 DAYS OR whatever. You know a good thing for you to do this Thanksgiving is to spend some time giving thanks and spend some time talking about the Lord coming back and let your entire family know about a decision you made to trust Jesus Christ so if they have to put you in the ground before the end of 2024 that they can say, well, I happen to know that man and I know what he said and I know if what he said is true according to the Bible, he's in heaven right now and we can weep, but we don't have to weep. We're going to see him again. Gotten tired of talking about it? Well, eighty-eight they said he's coming, eighty-nine he's gonna come, two thousand and nut job says he's gonna be here, and we're gonna go up on a mountain and everything. Two thousand twelve Mayan prophecy's gonna come around and makes good good uh, movie, uh, uh, good makes a good movie for everybody to get jacked up and twelve goes by and eighteen goes by, you're all the way up here now, almost at the end of twenty three. He ain't here yet. You say, When's he coming? Maybe tonight. He's coming for somebody tonight. You say, how do you know? You look at the cemetery. You want to get real statistics on death sometime? Call the insurance people. They're paying out now hand over fist. People are dying like flies. Don't believe the news media. That'll get you killed. You find out where the money is. Follow the money. Follow the money. You say, what's happening? People are dying. Now what I'm here is to talk to you of night. If you're ready to meet the Lord when you kick the bucket, you won't have to worry about it. Are you ready? Preacher, I've just kind of grown weary thinking about the end of life and whether it's gonna happen. I'm still a young buck. I got a whole life in front of me. I got some seeds to sow and some wild oats and things like that. You better be careful. Boast not that I sell for tomorrow. That boy over there comes in and he's planted and then boy, his grain bins are overflowing and he said, man, next year I'm going to have to have more grain bins and I'm going to have to spread out. Boy, I'm telling you what, I got more than I know what to do with and instead of me uh, cutting back on it, I'm just going to build bigger barns and the Lord steps up and said, thou fool tonight. Oh, you're just a preacher saying that. I wouldn't have quit what I was doing before if I didn't think it was the real thing. I'd have kept right on doing it and then died and just gone wherever you go but I know where we're headed. Yeah. Are you wore out? What do you need to do? You need to gather up by the brook. You need to move over by the brook where the water runs and you need to stick your feet in the water there and let yourself get cooled off and you need to say, Lord, I sure am grateful and I need a little bit of rest and I need a little bit of time with you and I need a drink of water and then you need to put me back out there and help me to not get weary and well doing. Don't get tired of doing what's right to do, folks. Hang in there. The curtain's closing. Gabriel's got the trumpet out of the case, and he's licking his lips. And the day's coming where we're going to be gathered like this, but it's going to be up there. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might help us tonight as we consider these matter. And I'm positive that when looking at a crowd this size, that there's many folks here that are just weary and well-doing. And pray, God, that you might strengthen and encourage them That they'll not get weary and worn out and doing the things that you would have us to do. I know, Lord, it's not an easy life. Too many people make light of it and make that it's uh, an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do to go contrary to the world and the things of the world. God, would you bless this pastor and his wife and his family. Bless this church. Help them to continue to be a shining light for you and in this community. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming up here. Thank you for the meeting. I pray you'll remind us of these things on a daily basis. We pray and ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.